Morning Church. You know, um, I really enjoy um, the time of worship, the time of remembrance that we have, right? And how um, when Ashish was probably assigned uh, two weeks back or three weeks back, how God is so supreme and sovereign that he would weave every thought together so that his church would remember him well. And that is, uh, you know, that's, those, are, those are things that only God can do. You know, we would also encourage, um, as elders, we would encourage um, uh, more brothers to please, uh, you know, during the worship time, to please share a word of exhortation or even there's a time of prayer to remember the Lord, to give thanks to Him. We would want to encourage more brothers to do this, you know. Last week, um, we looked at um, Acts 10, Acts 11. We are all sure, right? We were on Acts 11, right? And who spoke last week? Prithvi, right? Yeah, Prithvi. Uh, Prithvi spoke last week. Because I got a bit of a different information. Um, you know, um, this just a few of you know, but uh, last week I couldn't come. So when I was with my youngest daughter, Gabriella, I've not taken her permission, if I can share this. Um, but when I was sitting with Gabby in the evening, I was asking her, how was Sunday service? Um, and we were having a really good, deep conversation as much as we could. And uh, she said, it was good, Dara. It was good. And then we went to the message. Okay. So I asked her, um, you know, how was the message? She said, it was actually good. It was actually good. So I asked her, you know, who spoke today? And she said, Minu auntie spoke today. Okay, not like trying not to laugh. I asked her. Um, I said, I looked at. Her, Are you sure? She said, Yeah. Minonti spoke. So I said, How was the message? Good, Dada. Very good. <laughs> I hope that none of us would have such a testimony. <laughs> so listen to the message. Hear the message. Um, and because you know what, when you go back, someone could ask you about the message, and it has to sing through. Okay. But uh, Prithvi, thank you for the word last week and carrying forward to Acts chapter 12. You know, Joby sent a note. We wouldn't encourage that as Joby sends a note, right? You know, read through the passage before we come for Sunday so that we kind of are able to think through the passage a bit more as we hear from the word of God. Now, can we open um, to, the, to the book of Acts chapter 12? And we're going to look at the full passage. You know, in this chapter, we're going to see a remarkable rescue truth, a remarkable rescue story from, from this chapter. You know, it's an unbelievable narration of how God is supreme and sovereign over the life of the early church. And we can, in fact, take encouragement for our personal lives. You know, we acknowledge that there are many of us within us looking for answers in our life. You will, you know, you know the Lord, but still there are so many portions in your life that is just not making sense. Maybe the wait is too long. Maybe there is health issues. Maybe there is various things that you're looking for God to answer. Maybe you were hoping that something was working towards and it just collapses. We want to encourage you to take, you know, we want to encourage you to take encouragement from this message in your personal lives, over the lives of the ones that you love, over the future of your lives, over his church, over the unrighteous over the nations and over the progress of the gospel to the ends of the earth. 
You know, it's a very difficult narration to believe. We like it when we read it, but when it comes into our own personal lives, we kind of feel that God is absent in my life, but He's present in everybody else's life, right? Sometimes do we feel that? You know, He's absent in my life, but in everybody else's life, He's so present, He's so active. Sometimes we think there's an old tale church history, you know? You know, our view of God, and I just want to encourage the church, our view of God can change a perspective of how we believe He works and how He will glorify Himself in every situation of our life. He's a God who's supreme and sovereign over every situation. He's a God who makes the impossible possible. Matthew 19, 25. You know, before we move to the, to the passage, I want to bring up two attributes of God to set the context. Two attributes of God. The first one is um, the first one is the supremacy of God. God is supreme. God is supreme. You know, many times we as humans, we see God too humanly, right? We see him being even, you know, used in, in probably movies, in content, in text, as just too human. Isn't that true? And we see, we live in a culture where he's made in the, he, they call something in the image of clay and stone and pottery and iron as God. And it is sad that, that most people have such an inferior view of God. And in fact, Christians also tend to humanize God. And many times it is represented poorly when it comes to close to representing who the living God of heaven is. Now, brothers and sisters, God is divine and infinite in every way and is not human in any way. I just want to repeat that God is divine and infinite in every way and is not human in any way. We can, in fact, see the absolute and the universal supremacy of God across Scripture. In the PPT that will be sent, it will be right in there. You know, just to reflect on, um, on the Bible, the entire Bible. You remember creation? The creation narration. We can see the supremacy of God in creation. You remember the flood? Noah's flood? Yeah? He reigned supreme over the flood. And the very days the earth was flooded. Let's go back to Egypt. How many plagues happened in Egypt? Ten plagues. He was supreme over the ten plagues. You know, he was a pillar of fire by night for the Israelites and a pillar of cloud by day for the Israelites. You know, he's so supreme that he divided the Red Sea and he broke every human understanding of how water could stand like glass so that his children could pass through. In Joshua, he ordered the sun to stand still. In 1 Kings 17, he orders ravens to take tiffin of bread and meat to Elijah. In 2 Kings 17, he makes iron float on water. In Jericho, the walls come crashing down. Many of you who are singles here, he's also supreme and supreme over how he led Ruth to Boaz, a Moabite woman. To Boaz, right? Everybody thought that Ruth was done and dusted. You know, she's a Moabite woman. There is nothing of hope over her, but God was so supreme that He made them to cross paths. And we know the line, we know the line through which Jesus came, right? 
They were miracle babies that were supremely planned by God. One was Isaac, Moses, Samuel, John the Baptist, and Jesus Christ himself. And just a side note, two of them were adopted. One was Moses, and who was adopted by his physical parents? Jesus Christ himself. Supremely planned by God, because God had purposes for them. His arrival to the earth was supremely planned just at the right time, as we heard today, right? He also supremely took the gospel out to the ends of the earth. And what was his dream team? Twelve ordinary unschooled people. That's not my dream team. But that was God because he's supreme. He proved his supremacy over death. We remember today the empty tomb and we rejoice over a resurrected Savior. And soon he's so supreme that he's going to be returning as the judge and the king of the earth. Dear brothers and sisters, the God of the Bible and the God we trust, believe it, He is supreme. It's an attribute that nobody can ever compete with. So the first attribute, okay, setting the context, God is supreme. The other attribute I want to look at is the sovereignty of God. Many times we think that supremacy and sovereignty are the same, but it is not the same. It's two different attributes of God. You know, the sovereignty of God can be defined as um, the exercise of His supremacy. Because He's supreme, He's exercising His sovereignty over everything. He's sovereign over your life, my life, and the events of this world. You know, He's also infinitely elevated above everything. Just, just think this itself will make you worship Him, okay? He's infinitely elevated above everything, Every situation and any created being who, which believes that it is supreme. He's also sovereign that God is subject to none, influenced by no one. He's absolutely independent. He's all-knowing, all-powerful, omnipotent, omnipresent God in every situation. No one can thwart his plans. No one needs to give him any advice. We see that in the book of Job and nobody can hinder him. God is so supreme that He's above all things and He can do all that He pleases. Now, because He's sovereign, I know this might hurt a bit, because He's sovereign, He's not obligated to us in any way. I want to be careful how I want to say this. Because He's sovereign, He's not obligated to us in any way to give us answers for our doubts, our concerns, our worries, our future, our fears, our blessings, or even the losses in our life. But He is so sovereign in answering prayers and is involved in our life daily, hourly, every minute and every second. God is sovereign. Two attributes of God, the supremacy of God and the sovereignty of God. I'm just quoting um, uh, an article that I came through and I just found it so beautifully how this author writes it. He says, divine sovereignty means that God is the monarch of the universe. God is the monarch of the universe. He's on the throne, directing the universe and working all things in Jonathan's life, in Abi's life, in, in Annie's life, in Ash's life, all across. And you know, he, where does he get his counsel from? From his own will. Ephesians 1 verse 11. So from today's 
passage, Acts 12. We're going to see the supremacy and sovereignty of God being demonstrated in the life of the apostles and the early church. You know, our perspective of God, keep this in mind, our perspective of God can define how we live our lives and how victorious we can rise over every situation that God permits. However painful, however illogical, however difficult and however true it really is. And God is supreme and sovereign that he does all things for his glory. You know, so we looked at the supremacy of God, we looked at the sovereignty of God, so now let's come into the passage. And now you'll see the passage probably in a different light, okay? Acts chapter 12, we're going to look at the first portion. Acts chapter 12, 1 to 5. I'm not going to put the points up there. Later on, you'll get it, okay? Now, this is a point where, um, you know, when Prithvi took us, it was, there was famine in the land, the church was growing, the Hellenists were coming to know the Lord, and in fact, there was a person called Barnabas who was encouraging people, and they were doing multiple other things. So the Lord was not only building His church, but He was also building people who would encourage the church in various areas, and Barnabas was one of them, okay? But as this was going, there was a man called Herod, Okay, And he wanted to hurt the church. He so wanted to hurt the church that he killed James, that is the brother of John. And when he saw that the Jews enjoyed it, he wanted to also kill Peter. So he imprisoned Peter and he was waiting for a time to kill him. In fact, he had four squads of soldiers protecting Peter in prison. Four squad is one squad is four. So four squads would be? 16 soldiers trying to guard this Bavam Peter. Okay? What a, I think that that's just a waste of money, um, you know, to guard Peter because we know exactly what's going to happen. So Peter was in prison. But you know what happened? As Peter was in prison, the church was honestly praying to God. You know, in human terms, this scenario looks bleak, right? Isn't that true? It looks too bleak. He's in, he's in prison, four squads of soldiers. You know, persecution has just gone rampant. James has been killed, the brother of John. Probably there is mourning in the house of, of James and John and seeing whatever has, has gone through. Looks like evil is trying to prevail over the church. But just want to give you an idea about who this King Herod Agrippa is. There are multiple Herods, right? Right from the birth of Jesus and there are multiple Herods, okay? Now this... Herod Agrippa is the grandson of Herod the Great. Remember when Jesus was born, all the babies had to be, male, male kids had to be killed. So there's a grandson of that Herod. You remember Herod Antipas who put uh, John the Baptist to death? He beheaded him. Well, this Herod Agrippa is his nephew. So you saw the Herods. Nice name, but they are all wicked people. In fact, he was a very sleazy politician. I think we get to see that in different ways, right? Um, he lived in Rome so that he could please the Romans. He, loved, he liked living among the Jews because he wanted to actually please them. He, in fact, one group that he did not like was the early church. He found them too disruptive to his plans. So he started to persecute the church. He arrested a lot of Christians and had James beheaded. And when he saw that that was creating joy... You know, like how sadists are? You know, once they see that's, that's joy, they want to do the same thing and repeat it again so that there's more approval. So that's where Peter is at. 
Okay. One thing that really encouraged me that in spite of that uncertainty, the church prayed. You know, Brunson says, you know, in this section, we see an evil king, right, intending, intending to do harm and repeating it. And in fact, God is so sovereign, he allows Herod Agrippa to do these actions on a leash. He's, he's in control of that situation, but he's allowing Herod Agrippa to do this. Now, Psalm 2 verses 1 to 4 says, He who sits in the heavens laugh. It's a beautiful portion, okay? Psalm 2 verses 1 to 4, you can read it. He says, when, when the nations look at peace, when the nations think they're doing treaties, when they're coming up, he says, the Lord, uh, the Lord from the heaven laughs and the Lord scoffs at them. You know, dear ones, it is wrong to think. It is wrong for us to think. And I want us to hear very clearly. It is wrong for us to think that no harm will befall God's people. It's wrong for us to think that God is losing control over the situation. God was and is and will always be in control of our situation. Can I hear an amen? Amen. No wicked act, not even the slaughter of the righteous takes place without God knowing. You know, sometimes we quote Romans 8.28, right? Romans 8.28 is... And we know that God works all things for the good of those who... And we, you know, we kind of, we kind of internalize it so much and think that nothing harm... You know, actually, it is not true, okay? It is not true. I'm sorry for bursting the bubble, but, you know, it is not true. It talks about the future glory of a Christian, that nothing can ever separate us from the Lord Jesus Christ. Stephen was martyred for the gospel. You know, what can we take away from Acts 12 verses 1 to 5. Some of the principles probably we can look at it is that rejection, sickness, loss, tragedy, suffering, death. In fact, all of this CBF as a church has gone through in different, different ways. Is all part of being part of a church. It's all part of the life of a born-again Christian. If there's any one of you sitting here who do not know Jesus, don't think that Christianity is, is comfortable living. No, there is a cost on each one of us. Also, do not believe. I want to say this very carefully. God does not love us less when he allows tragedy in our lives. Do not believe this lie. God does not love us less when he allows tragedy in our lives. Or unexpected situations. God loved James. There's no doubt about it. He himself called James, right? God loved James and Stephen as much as he loved Peter. God cared for James and John's family as much he loves yours and mine. You know, I'm just reading a quote. It says that we must always interpret our circumstances by God's love. If you want, you can just write it in. We must always interpret our circumstances by God's love, not God's love by our circumstances. Another principle we can take away is to train ourselves, and you can only do this with the Word of God. Train ourselves. We saw the supremacy of God, right? And as we went through, we were able to, yeah, you know what, God is supreme over all those situations. But train ourselves to view death and unexpected incidents from God's eternal perspective. And not from our temporal perspective. You know, James went to be with the Lord. Peter is in prison. You know, when James, from his earthly perspective to the eternal perspective, you know, God will says, Well done, good and faithful James. You know, welcome. 
enter into the eternal joy of your master. From a moment he went from his pain, sorrow and death into the everlasting arms of his father. And James couldn't have stood firm if he did not have an eternal perspective. The last principle probably that we can take away from here is to persist in earnest prayer. You know, he hears our prayers and answers our prayer, you know, but as I said earlier, he's not obligated to respond to ways and answers we expect. But in spite of that, pray without ceasing. Pray without ceasing. Leave the timing and the answers and how he will answer to God because he does all things for his glory. So the first truth I just like to leave it here is the supremacy and the sovereignty of God prevails over untimely incidents and the death of his saints. It prevails over untimely incidents in your life and in my life and also the death of his saints. Let's move to the next passage. Is Acts 12, 6 to 19. So this was a time when Peter is about to be brought out and Peter was sleeping. Peter was sleeping in the midst of four squads of soldiers. Okay, And the next day he's going to be brought out to probably be killed. At that point of time, an angel appears and strikes Peter to get up, Peter. I don't know how he's sleeping. I really don't know how he's sleeping. It's definitely not that, uh, you know, he took you know, chest on cold or de-cold and the, the medicine may... No, it's not about that. Meaning his assurance was so strong probably that he was so fast asleep that the angel had to wake him up. Say, get up, Peter. Let's go for an adventure. And in the moment the angel appears, the chains from his hands fell off. And we look at the three commands that the angel tells him. And then miraculously, as he walks from the first gate to the second gate, even the iron doors open and the angel takes him out. When he was alone on the street, the angel leaves him. He goes to the house of Mary, that is John Mark's uh, mother. And they were all praying over there. And he knocks on the door. He knocks on the door for a little while. Okay, and uh, Rhoda, the, 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 uh, the servant, she comes to the door and she asks, who is it? And then because it's so, it's persecution is happening, he would have said, Peter, Peter. Okay? And she's like, mm, actually the prayer meeting is not over. We're still praying over these matters, you know. Um, and she goes, she goes in. And Peter's like, this is Peter. And he, she goes inside and tells the praying church, Peter! We've not done fasting and prayer. Please, let's hold on. I know you're excited. Maybe it might be his angel, you know. Let's not. But she insisted, saying, It is Peter. Peter is there. So, probably with unbelief, they come and open and they see Peter, and then the church is encouraged. It's a little dramatic way, but you get it? You get what's happening there? You know, at that very night, God intervenes, okay? You know, Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, but God moves into action. And amazing that Peter is asleep, right? You know, there's a verse in Psalm 4, verse 8. Um, and if any one of you are troubled, right, in your heart due to various things, right, just leave this verse into your heart, in, in your lives. Just like how David said, Peter would have said, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone make me dwell in safety. Amazing, right? 
No prison doors could shut God out or keep his servants in if he wills to release them out. No chains, no guards, no metal doors could stand before our God. You know, he proved himself sovereign over stone, over metal, and over flesh. You know, James 2, 23 to 26, it says that Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You know, when Peter was asleep, the angel had to actually wake him up and say, Peter, get up quickly, Peter. Dress yourself and put on your sandals, wear your cloak. Let's go, man. Let's go. Let's go. I'm pretty sure that, we, you know, when we are all in deep sleep, we are very groggy. But he was up. He obeyed. He believed instantly that there was something that God was going to do. And he was out of there. You know, dear church, God can and will call you and me to demonstrate such faith. Don't expect our lives to go, you know, as per, you know, everything to happen in a, in a, in a clock, right? Everything happens to the dot. You know, we think that God can only work that way. When God radically intervenes in our life, we respond in faith, not with logic, not with deductions, or not when we tell God that we are ready. And that is also seen in how the church responded. In fact, once he was in their midst, after knocking for a while, um, you know, he goes and encourages the church and tells them exactly what God did. And from there, he did, you know, he doesn't start a ministry meeting and all of that there. You know, he moves to the next destination. A few principles I just want us to take from here. You know, God is most glorified. Hear this carefully. Okay? God is most glorified when we are the most helpless. And totally dependent on Him. God is most glorified when we are the most helpless and totally dependent on Him. When we are broken, when we are surrendered. All that Peter could say is that the Lord let me out of prison. All that he could say. The Lord, I don't know how it worked, but the Lord let me out of prison. The second principle is that God in his sovereign grace and mercy works through our prayers to teach us dependence on him. You know, the church was praying, right? The church was praying. But let our response should not be of unbelief when God answers. You know, often God delays the answers to our problems. Is that true? Even within us. Whenever we pray, does God instantly answer? No, that's a, that's a, if you do analysis, you'll actually, actually there is a delay in his answer. You know, he often delays the answers to a problems of crisis so that we will recognize how much we really, really need him. You know, Charles Wesley wrote a song. It says, it, and can it be? And I'm just going to read it out. He says, long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night. Probably from Acts 12, he's writing. Thine eye diffused a quickening ray. I awoke. The dungeon flamed with light. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth and followed thee. My dear brothers and sisters, dear family, are, you know, are, we willing to, are we willing to surrender ourselves even though we have been persisting in prayer? There are many of us who are persisting in prayer over many, many matters. Probably it could be the health of our children. 
probably could be the our children's marriage or our children's education probably it could be work probably it could be marriage for many of our singles probably even within families it'll be a struggle probably between the husband and the wife there are many things that we would be praying for right but i just want to ask you this question is your spirit and being imprisoned with sorrow with sadness with bitterness and unbelief in god Thus, the delay from God over your situation consumes you so much that the joy in Him and the joy of who God is and in Him evaporates. Because you keep on fretting over the situation, keep on fretting over the situation. And I pray that, that your chains and my chains would fall off. That your heart would trust and be free and you will go forth in joy and follow the ways of a supreme and a sovereign God. And God will, God will deliver you just at the right time. And the third principle is faith trusts God when it seems as if God is being unfair. Faith continues to persevere in prayer. Church, let our prayers, kids, even for you, right? Even for me as I speak, let our prayers be faithful. Let our prayers be faithful, not faithless. Have faith when we pray. Let it be full of faith. How God answers just says, leave it the way it is. Like how the church prayed. They prayed, they prayed, they prayed. But when they prayed, James was not rescued. But when they prayed, God in his mercy and in his plan allowed Peter to be rescued through that miraculous jailbreak. Let our prayers be faithful and not faithless. Proverbs 3, 5 to 8 says, Trust the Lord with all your heart. Not with logic. Not with circumstances. But with all your heart. And you know what? A person like me has so much of unbelief. It's, it creeps in somewhere or the other. Okay? But there's a verse even for that. Mark 9, 21 to 24 says, Lord, help me to overcome my unbelief. Lord, help me. And that's such a great prayer for us to pray. Lord, I want to trust you. I know all about you. I know you're going to come through, Lord. You, I know that you're going to deliver. But Lord, help me to overcome my unbelief. And then your faith would become faithful prayers rather than faith less prayers now God often waits till the 11th hour to deliver us and that's amazing because he proves that he is supreme and sovereign let's look at the you know the, the second truth the supremacy and sovereignty of God prevails over every humanly impossible situation we could face okay let's move to the, the next section as we come to almost a close you know so did Herod Agrippa find Peter? In the, in the passage, if we have read it, he couldn't find Peter. And it bugged him so much that, you know, that he put all the four squads of his soldiers, which he invested with his treasury, everything total loss. Okay, and he put those four squads to death. But then he had to, he was a man full of pride, which we will see right now. And he goes to the people of Tyre and Sidon, uh, Sidon and um, they are looking for peace and also provision for their, uh, for, their, uh, for their land. And so an appointed day, see, Herod puts this away. He knew he couldn't find Peter. So he addresses the, um, the issue as any sleazy politician would, right? Wraps it all up and moves on to the next big project. 
So in appointed day, Herod puts up his royal robes, his suit, coat, boot and suit. And he sits on the throne and delivers an oration to them. And as the people were shouting, the voice of God and not of man, immediately an angel of the Lord struck him down because he did not give God the glory and he was eaten by worms. And he breathed his last. You know, God now moves from a miraculous jail, jailbreak. You know, when, when the church and Peter trusted God in that adversity, now he moves the thing to, to actually handling Herod Agrippa right now. He sets up a glorious platform to judge the heart and the actions of Agrippa. Remember Peter, um, remember the angel struck Peter to wake him up? Now the angel strikes Herod Agrippa in a completely different way. You know, Herod, after his shameful thing that happened to him when Peter escaped. You know, he wanted to prove his authority with the people of Tyre and Sidon. Um, and in his royal robes, he stood there. They thought that this was a voice of God and not of man. You know, um, Josephus, who's a Jewish historian, he writes that probably um, Herod sat there with a royal robe that was made of silver. So when the sun shone on it, it was so... Um, it was just, how do, what is the word? It was so um, dazzling. Yeah, dazzling is the word. I was thinking of fancy, but dazzling is a better word. Yeah, it was so dazzling that no wonder they would have said, this is the voice of God and not man. You know, he did not stop them from giving him glory. And God used a lowly tapeworm, a lowly tapeworm to judge this so-called humanly powerful and proud man. That's, that's supremacy at its best, right? He did not send lightning or thunder or hail or brimstone, nothing. A lonely tapeworm came out of his body. And for five days, this man struggled and his stomachs and his bowels exploded and tapeworms came out as per, his, as per history. Judgment by God. You know, principles to take away from us for us is that, you know, to seek glory for ourselves is equivalent to dishonoring God. To take glory for ourselves is equivalent to dishonoring God. Small glory, humble glory, okay? God sees our heart. Sometimes we're so humble in glorifying ourselves, no? Correct, no? We're so, like, we've got those, we've got those, you know, we are sometimes like, you know, sleazy politicians, <laughs> like them itself, you know? The sin of pride. You know, sometimes it could be the music, the music that we do. Sometimes it could be the Sunday school of how we do. Sometimes it could be even our church. Sometimes it, even it could be the Bible studies, the mentorship, the teaching and the preaching and many subtle forms. You know, brothers and sisters, guard ourselves, guard ourselves. You know, Herod tried to glorify himself, you know, but it was him waging like a war against a supreme and a sovereign God. Brothers and sisters, God will not give his glory to anyone. If we exalt ourselves, he will humble us. Be, let's be careful of the temptation of pride, taking credit of ourselves, when it is God alone is in his mercy who deserves the praise. And today, even as we were thinking about, about the Lord Jesus, we remember those things. You know, probably it could be at work. Probably it could be in our family or even our, you know, our families that do not know Jesus. Sometimes we feel very righteous, no? 
Look at these sinners, sinners, full sinners, you know. But we feel righteous, right? You know, sometimes we look for acceptance by mortals. Mortals is like each one of us, yeah. In all that we do, remember, let's do it for the glory of God. Also, the next principle is waging war and winning against God is impossible. It's one of the most foolish things a human or a supreme world leader can ever think about. Now, sometimes when I see the interview of Putin, right? You know, actually, sometimes I just pray for him. The pride in that man. If God could address Herod Agrippa with a lowly tapeworm, and I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, I pray that Putin would come to know the Lord, but I'm just saying is sometimes you see such images and you wonder, right? Nebuchadnezzar, Darius, Ahab, Jezebel, all the Herods lost against Yahweh. In fact, at the end of days, we'll see the Antichrist and the false prophet also losing against God. You know, I pray that there is any one of you here who have hardened your heart towards Jesus. You know, we pray as a church that your chains will fall off. Just like how Saul's, you know, from his eyes the scales fell and he humbled himself before God and he turned to God. You know, if you turn to Jesus, he's willing to accept you and forgive you. Not because of your works, it's because it's truly his grace and it's a gift of God. Turn to Jesus, dear ones. Now, if your situation in your life has hardened your heart, again, trust, you know, let that not become a pride in you that you're able to defy God or you're trying to do something against God, but repent and come back to God. The third principle, the third truth, I don't want to put as principle is, the third truth is the supremacy and sovereignty of God prevails over the most powerful and proud human leaders of this world. That means even over your situation. Let's look at the last section as we uh, wind up. We see that in spite of all of this, you saw this chapter is very much of a roller coaster chapter, right? Um, James beheaded, Peter in prison, Peter's miraculous uh, escape, and Herod tries to escape his shame, goes to Caesarea and tries to be there, and there he's judged by God. But in spite of all of that, the common theme that we've been hearing is what? The word of God increased and multiplied. And God is now rallying Barnabas and Saul from Jerusalem. And now John, Mark is going to join them. And the gospel to the Gentiles is going to go. Ravens is going to speak next week about that. And you will be hearing more. Now, brothers and sisters, his word will prevail. His word will prevail. And Luke closes the section by telling how the word of God continued to grow and multiply. You know, not even Herod Agrippa could hold back the growth of the church. He couldn't. And also the proclamation of the gospel. You know, Matthew 5, verses 18 says, For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth passes away, passes away, not an iota, I think this is from the ESV I'm reading, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all of it is accomplished. God is supreme and sovereign over world events. God is supreme and sovereign over your life and my life, the life of this church. Through every situation that we go through, He is absolutely in control. And the great comfort that we have is, you know, that we have the Word of God that we can hold dearly and true to and hold on to it, cling on to it. And, you know, we not only have the word of God, just like Barnabas and Saul and John Mark went to encourage others, let's also use the word of God to help others to trust in who God is. 
And that's the uh, last truth. The supreme and the sovereign word of God will prevail and progress in the midst of any opposition. So we looked at the four truths. Again, it'll be there in the PPT um, that you will get. As we conclude, we're almost done. Anybody remembers what we are seeing? What we're looking there? The Titanic, right? Um, the bottom um, the bottom is how the ship looked like. Um, and uh, in 1912, by the way, the images that you see at the top are recent events, and I'll explain about this expedition. Um, that's unbelievable true images of the Titanic like never ever seen before. Okay? You know, uh, this ship um, traveled with close to 2,000 plus passengers and it is claimed that uh, it hit an iceberg uh, in its maiden voyage from Southampton to New York. Now, Captain Edward John Smith made a statement when the ship was about to set sail and it's got recorded in history. You know what he said, brothers and sisters? Anybody knows? Yeah, only? Who can sink the ship? Not even? Yeah, he made a statement saying not even God himself could sink this ship. 15,500 people died, including believers who were there. You know, this is a full-size digital scan of the Titanic. You see the first two images that you see down in the Atlantic in its grave. This is done, if any of you techies, even kids do research work on this, unbelievable by BBC that you should see, okay? This is a 3D view of the entire ship. You can, in fact, go around it. You can go inside it, all of that, okay? They've done it in a way, uh, you've heard of a scan called LiDAR, but this is much more better than LiDAR, in fact. Okay, and they have done multiple scans. And this was done by, uh, in 2002 summer by Maglin Limited, a deep sea ma mapping company and Atlantic Productions. And you can see the a portion of this documentary in BBC. That's why I put it there. Otherwise, I might forget to say that that's the source. Okay. 200 hours of serving the length and the breadth of the rep. Uh, of the wreck. 700,000 high-resolution images from every angle creating exact 3D construction. It shows its nuts, balls. It shows even, you know, the uh, in our car we have that, um, what do you call that? Uh, what is that called? The, uh, the serial number, right? Of even those things can actually be seen in these scans. They're trying to understand what happened in 1912, that fateful night. You know, the sea is eating. The Lord is loving microbes to eat this, um, this wreck away slowly. And, um, you know, they're saying that we are hoping to understand the secrets of the Titanic. Why? Because people are still asking questions. There are dear ones, even, since even a hundred years later, finding out what happened because they're not able to have closures in their lives. So in this case, it's a little bit, um, I would say it's a little ghostly because as you scan through, you can see shoes, you can see combs, you can see various other things of people who've lost their lives. Francis, can you believe that this was a ship that was made, a statement made by a mortal that saying that God could not even sing the ship? That's evidence. That's evidence that God can because he's supreme and he's sovereign over everything. What are some of the... Uh, 
what are some of the truths that we can learn? You know, um, if we review, as I close, you know, that the God of the Bible and the God we trust is absolutely supreme. Now, because he's supreme, he's sovereign over your life and my life and the events of this world. And yet in his supremacy and his sovereignty, he hears our cries. He hears our prayers. And in his time that he will answer us. But you know what? There is one action that we should do. Our perspective of God can actually define our lives. Is that true? The way we look at God can actually define how we live our lives and how victorious we can rise over every situation that God permits. And I'm very sure, I believe that the Spirit of the Lord is moving your heart to look into some areas of your life. Some of you are going through mourning. Some of you are going through loss. Some of you are going through uncertainty. Some of you are already thinking, you know, how does lunch look like? You know, there are many things that we are concerned about, right? But again, I just want to leave these these points with you said, do not believe this lie that God does not love us less when he loves unexpected situations or tragedy in our life. Let's look from God's eternal perspective and not from our temporal perspective. I love this point. God is, is most glorified when we are the most helpless and totally dependent on him. And God is in his sovereign grace and mercy answers honest prayers. You know, faith continues to persevere in prayer. And if you struggle, ask, Lord, help my unbelief. And the, word, and, the, and the supreme and the sovereign word of God will prevail in the midst of any opposition. Francis says, um, you know, Habakkuk 3, 17 to 19. You know, many of us know this verse, right? Right? It says, though the fig tree does not bud and no fruit is on its wine, Though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the sheep are cut off from the fold and no cattle are in the stalls, yet I will exalt in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. God, the Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer and makes me walk upon the heights. My dear brothers and sisters, adversity is there in our life. Adversity will be there in our lives. But let's preserve through it because God does all things for his glory. With that, shall we close with a word of prayer? Lord, we, Lord, we, we commit ourselves and we confess, Lord, that we are weak. Lord, we many a times, Lord, know so much about you, Lord. We have so many versions of the Bible that talks about you even in our homes. Oh Lord, we confess, Lord, sometimes we find it so difficult to believe who you are and believe in all your covenants and in all your promises that you have for us, Lord. Lord, it's not your issue, Lord. Lord, it's the issue of our perspective of who you are. Lord, we teach each other, Lord, of all the wonders, the supremacy and the sovereignty of God. We teach even our kids, but Lord, I confess, Lord, sometimes it's difficult for me to believe that you are supreme and sovereign, Lord. For that way, help our unbelief, Lord. Help us as a church in our unbelief. If there is areas in our marriages, if there's areas in our lives, at our work, with our ministry, with our health, with the dear ones that we love, or many of our dear ones who are looking towards marriage, or looking for breakthroughs in their life, Lord, help our unbelief, Lord, that the same God 
in your plan and in your will and in your time can come through for us just like how you came through for Peter, Lord. We acknowledge, Lord, that you do all things well for your glory. Teach us and help us, Lord, to persist in prayer, to train ourselves up to see from God's perspective rather than our perspective. Thank you for ministering to me and even, even for ministering to each one of us, Lord. We commit ourselves, we humble ourselves, we bow before you, we worship you when we acknowledge who you are, yet you remain the supreme and the sovereign one over everything and over our lives. And we will trust you through all the journeys that you take us through. In Jesus Christ's precious name we pray.